0: Downton Abbey fans may recall the episode when Dame Maggie Smith quoted from the Church of England hymnal. With Lady Violet's trademark grandeur, she said, God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. She was quoting it ironically, but the original text is anything but ironic. William Cooper, the eighteenth-century English poet who wrote the hymn text, suffered from suicidal depression for most of his life. He knew a thing or two about the mysterious and often impenetrable ways of God. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Truly thou art a God who hidest thyself. This verse has had a lot of attention over the centuries. Throughout Christian history, the question has always been asked. When terrible things happen, where is God? This question becomes more urgent and more agonizing when something happens to children. When the news of the massacre at Newtown, Connecticut Elementary School came through, there wasn't or shouldn't have been a Christian believer in this country who didn't ask, Where was God? Why does God permit these atrocities? This is the question that Christian faith must ask. It's a very shallow faith if it doesn't ask. Many people have been conditioned not to ask these kinds of questions as though they were disrespectful, intrusive, or dangerous. Some worry that asking such a question is like opening a door to not believing in God at all. But the people of the Bible do ask, directly and bluntly. The questions are repeated over and over again in the Psalms. The wonderful little book of the prophet Habakkuk puts it this way, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear why are you silent when the wicked man swallows up the one more righteous than he? The silence of God, this seeming absence of God, is a major theme of scripture and a common struggle in the christian life isaiah forty five fifteen can be translated. Truly, thou art a God who hidest thyself. Or, alternatively, truly, you are a God who hides himself. Why is the first version, the King James Version, better? Because when we say thyself, we are still addressing God in the second person. When we say himself, we are moving into the third person, distancing ourselves. Truly you are a, guide, a God who hides yourself sounds a bit flip to me. So I'm sticking with the King James. Truly thou art a God who hidest thyself. Or, as the beloved hymn by Walter Chalmers Smith says, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, In light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, Most gracious, most glorious, the ancient of days, Almighty, victorious, Thy great name we praise. Now, the idea that God lives in light inaccessible is an ancient one. When Moses came down from speaking with God on Mount Sinai, his face reflected God's light so brightly that he had to wear a veil over it so as not to blind the people. When Moses asked God to show him his glory, his Shekinah, God placed him into a cleft in a rock, and to protect him from seeing the glory directly, covered him with his hand. Hymns from older times refer to these biblical stories in a way that assumes the congregation will know them and make them their own. Another hymn has these words He shelters me, me. You, in the cleft of the rock, and covers me there with his hand. It's a tender personalization of the story about Moses. God dwells in inaccessible light, light that we can't look at directly. It's uncreated light. That emanates from God's very being. This light, this uncreated light, was already there before God created the light that we see, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. This also is a basic biblical idea. God isn't a product of human imagination. God is not a human wish raised to the nth power. God is not a projection of human hopes and fears. God is outside and beyond our ideas of God, so that we cannot see God from a human point of view at all. Put another way, God is invisible not only to our eyes, God is also invisible to our imaginations. But how do we know who God is then? How do we even know if there is a God? Truly thou art a God who hidest thyself. The name for this idea in Latin is Deus Absconditus, the hidden God. But that doesn't quite get at what Isaiah is saying. Because God is not just hidden on general principles. If God is hidden... It is because he hides himself. He means to be hidden. It is God's nature to be out of the reach of our senses. There's a distance between God and ourselves that cannot be bridged from our side. Now, one of the main reasons we need to know the Old Testament intimately Is that the God revealed in it, the God who is the Father of Jesus Christ, is huge and elusive. One of the great biblical theologians of the past century, Samuel Terrien, wrote a book called The Elusive Presence, in which he argued that the most important unifying factor in the Old Testament is God's absence in presence or presence in absence. Similarly, Blaise Pascal wrote, A religion which does not affirm that God is hidden is not true. Similarly, Blaise Pascal wrote, A religion which does not affirm that God is hidden is not true. And a religion which does not offer the reason for this hiddenness is not illuminating. People of faith must try very hard then to be illuminating, that is, to shed God's illumination into the darkness of this world. The saying of Isaiah, God hides himself is remarkably set into a passage of rapturous praise of God's mighty deeds of salvation for his people. It's the same with the hymn. God is hidden in light, inaccessible, and yet he is most gracious, most glorious, ancient of days, almighty, victorious. These statements seem to cancel one another out. How do we know that God is gracious and almighty and so forth if God is hidden and inaccessible? The only way to respond to questions like these, the only way to respond to questions like these, the only way is to learn what God has told us about himself. And that means to immerse ourselves in the Holy Scriptures. This may seem obvious, but one of the most familiar laments I hear from seminary professors is that the students who come to study for the ministry arrive without knowing anything about the Bible. One hopes that they know something by the time they graduate, but there isn't any substitute for being immersed in the Bible from earliest childhood. And one way to become immersed is to know lots of hymns, including, for example, the full text of Cooper's poem. This English poet's life was a torment to him in many ways, and yet he had known the love of God and would not give up his hold upon it. There are two different ways of asking, where is God? Why does God hide himself? One way is scornful, hostile, and truly godless. Like the abuse and mockery hurled at Jesus on the cross, he trusted in God to deliver him. So let God deliver him. The people who yelled that insult thought they knew who God was and what God would and would not do. But the other way of asking like the poet Cooper's way, comes from deep faith. It comes from having at least a partial knowledge of God and of the darkness that opposes God. Anyone who has received even a tiny glimpse of the majesty, holiness, and righteousness of God will have an increased sense of the darkness, disorder, and malevolence that's loose in the world. These forces would swallow us up altogether had not God set in motion his great plan to reclaim his creation. This is what Isaiah celebrates above all. The verse, truly thou art a God who hidest thyself, is curiously placed. It comes in the midst of a passage of ecstatic praise. In fact, Almost all of Isaiah 40 through 55 is ecstatic. It's the longest, most sustained hymn of praise to God's power and purposes in the whole Bible. And yet the conditions in which these chapters, chapters 40 through 55, were written were hopeless by any ordinary standards. The people of God had been dragged off to Babylon, where the colossal Mesopotamian gods dominated everything. They were forced to ponder the fact that their God had apparently abandoned them, along with his promises to them. When we remember that, it makes Isaiah's prophetic work seem truly miraculous. Isaiah writes that God is not dependent upon circumstances. God creates his own circumstances. God is not located simply within Israel. His power and promises encompass the entire created order. The chapter continues, mocking the gods of Babylon. They carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. There is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. From my mouth has gone forth in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. If we understand the context of this promise – a minuscule band of captive Hebrews dwarfed by the mighty empire of Mesopotamia – if we understand this context, we can begin to grasp the audacity of the prophet of the exile. And in Isaiah's unexcelled proclamation we look ahead to the proclamations of the Apostle Paul, who picked up Isaiah's universal theme. At the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was widely noted and noted with skepticism and even disdain by some that every single one of the funerals for the children of Sandy Hook School was held in a house of worship. This doesn't answer the question of why God did not stop the shooter, that inexplicably damaged and lost young man when he opened fire at the school. We do not know why God appeared to be absent. What we do know and can affirm is that God was present in this way. He was and still is present in the coming together of those who grieve with the families to bring small lights into the blackness Of their grief. They were not alone. Something or someone drew those bereaved families deeper into the midst of the communities that continue to trust God even when God has hidden God's self. Incomprehensible and even offensive as that may seem, God is alive in the faith of his people, wherever they are, and in whatever condition. The fact that God hides himself in the midst of revealing himself is paradoxically a testimony to his reality. Presence in absence is the theme of his self-disclosure. God isn't hidden because we are too stupid to find him or too lazy, or because we are not spiritual enough. God hides himself for his own reasons, and he reveals himself for his own reasons. If that were not so, God would not be God. God would be nothing more than a projection of our own religious ideas and wishes. The Lord hides Himself from us because He is God. And God reveals Himself to us because God is love. Does that make sense? Probably not. But sometimes Christians must be content with theological paradox. The Lord hides himself from us because he is God, and God reveals himself to us because God is love. To know God in his Son, Jesus Christ, is to know that he is unconditionally love unto the last drop of God's own blood. In the cross and resurrection of his Son, God has given us everything that we need to live with alongside the terrors of his seeming absence. Many churches do not use the phrase he descended into hell in the Apostles' Creed. But for many who have pondered its meaning over the years, it is a central affirmation. In his death on the cross, Jesus, the Son of God, descended into the hell of the absence of his own Father. That's what the cry of dereliction on the cross means. My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the absence of God his Father as no one else ever has, not even in the greatest extremity, because he experienced it for all of us. The Son of God underwent the opposite course. He came out from the light, and he entered the darkness to be himself the light in our darkness. Toward the end of World War II, during the liberation of Europe, Allied troops found a crudely written inscription on the walls of a basement in Cologne, in Germany, by someone who was hiding there from the Gestapo. Here is what it said. I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. I believe in love even when feeling it not. I believe in God even when God is silent. The silence of God descended upon the cross on Good Friday. And on the morning of the third day, the sun rose upon the empty tomb. And the writer of Deuteronomy reminds us the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Amen.